You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. It had never been done before. Shortly after that, many people broke the four-minute mile, including young school students. Les Brown, the world-famous motivational speaker, asks this question. What changed? Gravity? The sneakers they wear? The only thing that changed was belief. The only thing that changed was the story that the human body could not run that fast. Now the story became, it's possible. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is a woman who changed her story. That change took her from zero to hero. She went from no investments or strategies to owning 19 houses, 19 apartment units, and seven chunks of land in less than three years. She then traveled the United States speaking on stages, teaching her simple strategies, and meeting with other successful real estate investors, and still buying houses the way she teaches others. She's led and trained hundreds of future real estate rock stars to grow their portfolios, collect checks, and achieve financial freedom. Hundreds of real estate newbies are securing leads, signing deals, and scaling their dream incomes through the First Deal Done Fast program. I'm pumped and honored to introduce Whitney Nicely to our show. Whitney, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thanks for having me, Lewis. This is going to be fun. It already is fun. (laughs) It's funny because I just, when I said that, I mentioned Les Brown before. I remember once when I ran into Les at a, a huge seminar, he was there as a student, and I said, Hey, Les, it's good to see you. And he goes, it's good to be seen. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to know, when you were a little child, did you dream about owning a lot of real estate? No, I grew up as a real estate investor's kid. I grew up knowing that money came in the mailbox every single month. I didn't realize bills came in the mailbox until I was into my 20s. (laughs) I just thought money happened at the beginning of the month. Well, you know what? It does if you have the right attitude, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I remember, though, saying to my mom one day, like, why don't I have any money in the mailbox? And she was like, well, you have to buy something first, ding dong. <laughs> well, you have to buy something to have money? No, you have to, if you buy, you're going you're gonna to send money out. You have to buy the right things, I guess. You have to invest. You have to invest. That's cool. Okay. What was your childhood dream? What did you think about you? what you wanted to become when you were a little kid? I was going to be an actress. Oh, tell me more about that. 
I was going to be hanging out with you on stage and, you know, doing all the big actress things and hanging out with Les Brown. And I mean, I was pretty much going to be you when I grew up, right? <laughs> well, if, if you would be me and you look like you, <laughs> that would be very interesting. I think we could probably market that into a, a running series of comedies, you know? Uh, I think that'd be great. Well, we can and talk about that later. You know what I'd love to know, though? Did you pursue the acting dream at all? No, I very quickly decided I wanted to be an author after that and, uh, you know, live in France on the Riviera and just write and write and write. And I, it just never occurred to me that I needed to have, like, a, a job that was going to bring in a steady paycheck. And so I never dreamed that I would be doing this either so oh. this is much better than what i dreamed of as a little girl and i'm just curious about the writing did you start doing any writing yes i've written three books so far and i've been mulling on one in my head and i outlined it in the shower this morning actually <laughs> wow I hope I hope that I hope that the that the ink didn't like blow all over the page when you were writing it in the shower. You know what I'm gonna do is they make these uh, boards that you can write down your ideas in the shower. I'm seriously gonna buy one of those because I have the best ideas. I mean, million dollar ideas stuck in the shower, and then by the time I get out and get ready where I can write, gone. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> now the book that you were thinking about is it a a, a fact? Is it is it a uh, a book that teaches or is it a, a fiction book? No, it's a motivational teaching kind of book. Okay. It's going along with, you know, everything that I teach, everything that I talk about every day, all day, is that you can go out and become a real estate investor. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be difficult. And it follows my, my favorite, and we may be going kind of out of order here, but my favorite uh, quote or Bible verse is Proverbs thirty one sixteen, which says, she goes to inspect a field and she buys it with her earnings. She creates generational wealth. And that's what I want for every woman, especially every woman that comes near me, is to realize that they can become a real estate investor and not need all these other things in their life, like a job or, or a boss or, uh -huh. you know, depending well, on their husband. They can do it themselves. I like that. I like that a lot. And when you said we're going out of order, the only order is the one that happens spontaneously as we <laughs> as we talk. Okay. Uh, that, 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 that's how we keep this fresh and alive and, and fun for the listeners. And, right. um, you know, because I'm going to ask you a question that I wasn't even thinking of asking right away, but you're very passionate about personal development. Have you taken a lot of personal development courses yourself? Oh, Lord, yes. I, I'm signing up with a new mentor or a new guide or a new program or another weekend boot camp. I love it. And it, I never worry about how much it costs because I know I'm going to make it back 10 times. I know whatever I can go and learn and then I can trade back into turning it into a real estate deal for myself or teaching my students so that they can turn it into a real estate deal for them. I know it's, it's all coming back and it's all good stuff. That's wonderful. I agree with you. And um, who would you say would be the number one most inspiring thought leader you've studied with? Um, I have a mindset mentor right now who is awesome. Um, she lives in Canada with you. She's up there with you. And she she has been with me for a year. I studied under a really good sales mentor last year. Who was that? Who was that? Erin uh, Jenks. Uh-huh. My mindset mentor is Delora. I can't ever pronounce her last name. It's French. Um, and then Aaron Jenks taught me sales. Ron Legrand taught me real estate. John Iannotti taught me negotiating real estate. So I've got a trail of people. Um, right now I'm studying with a lady to help me on workshops, weekend workshops, so that mm. I can have transformational workshops. And somebody will say Whitney Nasley was the one that changed it for me. No, that's fantastic. You know, and from the way you were talking before about investing money and it's going to come back 10x, it makes me think that you may be also familiar with and maybe really like Joe Polish. I don't know him. I thought you were going to say Grant Cardone. Well, Grant Cardone certainly is up there on my list, too. This is going to be, I think, very exciting for you. 
write down the name of this podcast. In fact, I would like all of my people, I'm, I'm encouraging all of the listeners, all of my storytellers to check out this podcast. It's called I Love Marketing. Oh, I think they had an ad on my Facebook the other day. Well, follow it because you will be blown away. You're going to hear your own voice being mirrored back to you because of the ideas. Oh, no, 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 really. And and we're talking about people who are at the very, very, very top of the entrepreneurial success totem pole, if you like. You know, like uh, Joe Polish used to be a uh, broke and desperate and drug-addicted carpet cleaner who is now not only extremely successful and influential, but happens to be Richard Branson's number one fundraiser. Awesome. Okay. So you want to okay, talk? Cool. You want to talk about zero to hero? I mean, that is amazing, and it's a very, very inspiring podcast. Now. Uh, you already kind of answered who planted the seed for your real estate passion. It came from, <laughs> it came from your parents. Yeah, from my mama, really. Okay. So what did you, I assume you, you, you went to college, yeah? Yes, I did. And when I graduated, I went to work for the family company. And our books have always come from trucks since 1939. But our spare time, my family's always been buying houses, buying commercial land, buying landfills. So they've always just kind of done real estate part-time on the side as, you know, retirement or future income, never as anything right now to make money. And so I like, I what, kinda, I like, I like what you said there, the bucks from trucks. <laughs> yeah. That says it was a trucking company? Yes, a dump truck company. We started in 1939. My mom's got four truck companies now. Woo! Now, um, what did you study in college? Communication. I learned how to talk to people. My mom said I could talk fine before, but apparently they refined me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I tend to think that they they think they refined you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I minored in women's studies, so well, okay. I got that whole woman power thing down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, did you like school, or did you? I loved it. You did, eh? Okay. I loved it. I loved the classes. I loved the extracurricular. I liked the schedule. I liked the rhythm. I like the goal setting and then graduating and moving on and then getting a different class. And like, I love the whole thing. Fantastic. I always ask that because so many successful entrepreneurs really were at war with school and they, what they learned they didn't learn in school. They learned in the in the day to day world of experience, you know. But that's great. That's great that you loved it. What were you like socially as a teenager? I tried to hang out with the cool kids, and I just didn't fit. I didn't really understand what they were talking about. Maybe I was a little bit more sheltered than they were. But I really hit my stride. I joined the color guard. I was a band nerd. I can't play an instrument. I can't hardly keep time. But I could wave a flag uh, <laughs> somewhat on rhythm. So I really bloomed from there. And I ended up being in high school. I was the senior class president. I was Miss PHS. I was the prom queen. And the, you know, ruler of the band. <laughs> you know, you know what intrigues me? I'd love to know what was it that made you feel that you didn't fit in with the cool crowd? I just didn't. I don't, I don't want to say that they were fast, but I was still more interested in doing, I guess, kids stuff when they were getting really excited about getting into, you know, like boys and dating and cars. And the other part was my dad wouldn't let me date anybody that was more than a grade ahead of me. And they were all in middle school hanging out with high schoolers and I wasn't allowed to. So I had to find other people that weren't allowed to do that. Well, you know, it's interesting what, what you're saying. You could either do that, which you chose to do, or you could have been a rebel and said, I'm going to do it anyway, but you didn't. I didn't. And okay. I really struggled when I started this entrepreneur thing because I loved the rhythm of school. I loved having those milestones. And I really struggled to find, 
you know, how to create my own milestones, how to hold myself accountable, how to feel the rhythm of working for myself instead of having a teacher say, okay, here's the syllabus. This is everything that we're going to cover. Show up, do this, do that. And you're going to get that. Like I would have been a really great employee, except I don't like people telling me what to do. You know what? You know what? I'm so glad you said that because I think we should pursue this uh, as well. Um, okay. <laughs> it, no, it's so important. I mean, uh, many of my storytellers, the listeners, are people with a strong entrepreneurial streak, and the, what you just hit on is the key. That if people don't find the way to hold themselves accountable, to stay motivated and consistent, their entrepreneurial dreams will die. So what did you do that made you successful, that made you find that, the way to work on your own? Well, one thing I did is I would take, you know, my to-do list and I would chunk it down into like little projects. And I was used to doing little projects and whether I had a big one that was due at the end of the week or smaller ones that need to be done every day. And then I would time block that in my calendar and I live and breathe by my calendar on my phone. I used to live and breathe by an actual planner, um, but then I had to carry that around and my purse was heavy. So I just put it, I learned to put it in my calendar on my phone and I would, you know, actually schedule time to work on my projects, work mm -hmm. on what I needed to do, work on you know, and sometimes because I'm a real estate investor, it was easy. I had to meet with sellers every day. And so it was around their schedule. If everybody wanted to meet at five, then I would be meeting at five. And I would just know that from five to six every day, I was meeting with sellers or from three to seven on one day a week, I was going to be meeting with sellers. And then I would fit the rest of what I needed to do around that because I had like four jobs when I started investing. Like I completely wow. understand people that are like, I got too much going on. I don't have time for this. And yes, you do have time. You're just going to have to be really strict with your time and not so carefree with it. I love that. Now, I'm sure that it just didn't happen overnight. No. If, you, if you had a, a kind of what you said, an employee mentality or that like the structure and suddenly you're thrown, you're in a world where you have to create your own structure. How long did it take you to establish the correct rhythm and working habits so that you could make it successful on an ongoing basis? I'm not sure I've hit that top of the totem pole quite yet, but it was definitely, it's still a work in progress. It's still a little bit of a struggle sometimes. And I would say it took me a year. I, I worked all my jobs and invested all of 2014. And I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So I really had to take a minute and look at, you know, it's kind of the 80-20 rule. Where was I getting the best leads? Where was I spending the best time? And then when I was investing, did I really enjoy that or did I enjoy being an employee? And I really liked having freedom with my time that I didn't have to be somewhere from nine to five and then squeeze in the rest afterwards. If I had a whole day, imagine what I could do. Mm -hmm. I agree. And the thing that is so important that people often don't look at is that no matter how well you are paid as an employee, you rarely will create wealth with that kind of income. That the way to take away all the barriers to creating wealth is to work for yourself. It is. And I was even working for the family company and I felt that way. You know, I was going to mm. inherit this great big enterprise and I was still, I was making like 2000 maybe 2500 a month. And my first real estate deal, I made $15,000. And then I leveled out at like ten grand a month investing in real estate. And I was still working for 2500 And I was like, wait a second. This, this doesn't make any sense anymore. I need to do this full time. Mm -hmm. But like it was hard. That. It was hard to leave the family. I stayed kind of part time uh, at a different family company, still with my mom, though, um, for another year just to make sure I wasn't jumping out before I had a net ready. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Now, what were, because I know there must have been some, huge obstacles to your success, either internal obstacles or external obstacles? Well, which one do you want to cover first? Because there sure were some obstacles. <laughs> you, you pick one. You pick them. 
Uh, I would say the external obstacle that I really had to overcome was that I was 27 when I started investing. And so a lot of people thought I was just too young to be buying houses like this. And then they thought I was too young to be trusted. Another thing was they, a couple sellers actually asked to speak to my husband to do the negotiating and I didn't have one. <laughs> so that was a, a little bit of a what? Um, and then other people just flat out didn't want to talk to me because I was new and I didn't have a good rhythm and they could tell that. And people, you know, some people are okay with helping newbies and some people just don't. So I'd say those are the three main external objections that I had. But internal, I was seriously struggling with leaving the family company. I was getting a lot of negativity from my boyfriend at the time. He told me that I would never be successful and that I, nobody would work with me and that all these people were telling me no because it was never going to work. And I had to break up with him and then give him an ultimatum. And then we ended up buying apartments and getting married. He's my husband now. But I had to go through a lot of internal, like, should I stay with him? Should I stay at the family company? Should I keep it safe and narrow? Or should I jump out and really make this thing happen? And, wow, you know, wow. That's fantastic. Now, why do you think the man who is now your husband was telling you all that negative stuff? It's in his head. He came from a family of school teachers who had a very, you know, solid rhythm to their life and a solid paycheck. And they, they didn't branch out. He graduated college. He got married. He had kids. He had a steady job. And then... He got divorced and his kids moved away and his whole world was shaken up and he he's 10 years older than I am. And so he had seen a lot more of the world. He'd seen his friends go through these, uh, you know, boot camps where they got real pumped up and they came home and didn't do anything. And he thought I was going to be like that. He saw other friends invest a whole lot of money in real estate during the recession or before the recession and then lose their house and file bankruptcy. And he didn't want that to happen to me. His all came from protecting me and protecting himself from getting hurt again. Wow. You don't, you have hit on something so significant for uh, our listeners this should be for many people a major takeaway because what Whitney is talking about is when your story, which is your dream, is being mm -hmm. challenged, mm -hmm. many, many people will abandon their story and they will embrace the story that they're hearing from the world. And that is often a mistake. It's a compromise. They give up on their dream, but she didn't. She stayed true to the story that was inside of her that said, I can do this. I am going to do it. And then she went ahead and she proved it. And actually her husband changed his story. The other reason I like this so much is that you're in real estate. I'm in network marketing. The same thing happens in network marketing where yep. people get involved and they see the potential to create an, an, a magnificent life, enormous wealth with a, a power to contribute to others and their family members who are afraid of it and don't trust it kill their dream. Yep. They call that, well, they, we call those people the dream stealers. I don't think they're evil. They mean well, but they can do tremendous amount of harm. That was fabulous. I'm so glad that you shared that. Now, I think you also mentioned to me that you actually had to overcome being broke. Was that true? Or well, being at zero? Yes. So can you talk a bit about that? I'm so glad you mentioned the four minute mile at the beginning because I had my four minute mile also. I was hanging out at a real estate auction one Saturday morning and also something my boyfriend husband did not want to do, but I liked real estate auctions. So I continued to go and they were, we had 90 lots for sale and we were going alphabetically A through Z. So we got to the L counties and I started paying attention. Like I was just hanging out and these people were buying these lots. I mean, dirt for $500, $1,000, $2,000. I think the most expensive thing had sold all day for like 10 grand. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. I've got a thousand bucks. Why? I sh maybe I should buy something. So I went and one, we were in the M counties. I didn't even know which county we were 
talking about. Uh, I heard him say it was in Decatur. I thought that was in Georgia. It turns out it's in Tennessee. And I went over to one of the other auctioneers that was there, and I was like, what's going on? He was like, just raise your hand. And I was like, what? He said, just raise your hand on the next one. And I was like, okay. So I raised my hand. And I, I honest to goodness, I like blacked out through this whole process. I ended up bidding like twice. I didn't know what we were bidding on. I just knew that I was going to be buying something. And it was the most exciting four minutes of my life. At the end of it, I did win. Um, everybody got a chuckle out of it. If somebody had videoed it, it probably would have made America's Funniest Videos because I didn't know what I was doing. I just kept bidding. At one point, the auctioneer was like, you're winning. Stop bidding. <laughs> so I won. And it was 1.07 acres in a failed subdivision on the river in middle of nowhere, East Tennessee. But it had. A, I left the auction so excited, flew down I-75 to find this lot that I just bought. And it already had paved streets, sidewalks, underground utilities. I was lot number 12 originally when it sold. And the first 20 lots came with a deeded boat slip in the community marina. And I actually bought a piece that was not in the subdivision. I had my own private gate to my lot. And then I found out that the HOA restrictions say that nothing but a uh, quarter million dollar houses can be built in here, very specific restrictions. And then later that week, I found out that the woman that had lost the property, she lost it to foreclosure. She had originally agreed to pay $69,000 and I bought it for $1,200. And I, mm -hmm. I went to ask all my neighbors, you know, hey, can I buy your lot? This is really exciting. And they were like, yeah, I paid 40 grand. You want to just write me a check? <laughs> nah, dude, I'm cool. I'll just keep my little $1,200 lot. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. It was awesome. But so when you did that and it turned out to be a great win, mm -hmm. were, were you broke at the time? No, I, di I didn't get broke for a while. I started buying every piece of property. That's why you said I have seven chunks of land. I bought all seven chunks of land like in the next six months. And then I thought, well, if I'm buying land and I'm doing pretty good at buying this land, maybe I should buy a house. So I turned around, went to another auction and bought a house and I was out of money, but I found another house that I wanted to buy. So I went and got all my brother's money and bought another house and then we were both broke. And so in less than a year, I went through like 60 or $70,000 of our entire life savings, including like we were starting to work extra jobs and uh, we flipped furniture on Craigslist to make extra money to keep up with what I was buying. And we were totally, totally, totally broke. And I wanted to buy more real estate though. And I went to the Real Estate Investors Association meeting and they were having a special presentation on lease options, but it cost $75 to go. And I mean, I didn't have a dime to my name. And so I told the president, I was like, you know, I'd love to go, but I just, I can't afford 75 bucks. I just bought these houses. I got all this land, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Whitney, if you will go to this event and if you don't learn anything, I will give you your $75 back. So he made me a guarantee, right? And I was like, all right, old man, <laughs> I'll go to this. No big deal. So mm -hmm. I went to that meeting to learn about lease options. And within 20 minutes, I was trying to figure out how to get into school to go learn more about lease options. Like this little one night thing was not going to be enough for me. And by the time I left that night, I'd pledged $3,000 on a credit card that I forgot I had. And I booked a trip to Florida and I haven't looked back since. So what was the trip to Florida about? I went to Ron Legrand's Quick Start Boot Camp in Florida to learn all about owner financing and lease options. And I did my first deal on Ron's method and made $15,000. So I had all of my investment back. I had a mentor paid for free and clear. And I'd done a deal. I had a shut up check that said I could do this and I could make money at it. I love it. Here's another great takeaway for people. The lesson that I'm hearing here is you don't have to wait until all the pieces of the puzzle are in place to take action. It may be scary because you're not sure of the outcome. It may be very scary to say, I'm going to put a $3,000 course on a credit card that uh, when I don't have any money coming in. None. But, you know, wow. If you trust that dream, you take action, the universe conspires with you to make it happen. And, you know, you just reminded me 
I did something similar in 2006 when I went to the Millionaire Mind Intensive. They got me excited about their four-year program called Quantum Leap. I wasn't working at the time, but I put $28,000 on a credit card. Yep. I got a knot in my stomach, but man, am I ever glad I did it because I did make it back more than 10 times over. Well, I had a choice that night. I could either put three grand on my credit card and take this chance on myself, or I could stay stuck and broke and working for the family company, knowing that there was something inside of me burning and busting to get out. Mm-hmm. And I went with myself. That's beautiful. This is the essence of what it takes to change your story and the wonderful rewards that await you if you do. Now, what attracted you most to your particular expertise of flipping houses? Because that's just one strategy in real estate. It is. And I got into, I accidentally started flipping houses. I, well, the first house I flipped was in 09 with my parents. And it was just because they had a rental house and I was living at home and working for mom and I just needed some time not with mom, right? So they had a rental house and I was like, well, I'll just move into that. Just kick your tenants out and I'll move in. Well, when we kicked the tenants out, they'd been there for 12 years and hadn't vacuumed the entire time they were there. So we uh, flipped that house without planning on, like we didn't go into this planning on flipping it. That house was awful. I mean, we left the windows and doors just wide open for like two weeks because you could smell the house from the street when you got out of your car. Like it, mm. it was nasty. But I watched the process and it took like four months to get it all done and all this stuff. And then I was kind of like, well, that was fun. Let's let's go buy something else. And so we, mom bought another house and I helped them flip that one. I was like, well, that's fun again. Let's do it again. So for about five years, we flipped five or six houses. I mean, just like one a year until 2014. And I got that first check of $15,000 and I already had another house under contract, but I knew it needed another kitchen. I knew it needed a fresh kitchen. It needed a little bit of a facelift. And when I flip houses, I don't tear down walls or do anything crazy. I, I just pretty it up. Sometimes I do a really good pretty up and sometimes I just do a little bit of a lipstick on a pig. But I took, <laughs> I took that $15,000 and put a new kitchen in that house and then I made 25000 Hmm. And then I took that 25000 and flipped five kitchens. <laughs> and, you know, so you just double. You keep doubling down on your money or you, you take that money that you get and you pay off something else so that your monthly income goes up. Because if you got a house free and clear and you don't have any payments going out on it, well, now everything that you bring in is to the good. So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of snowballing going on in my real estate investing strategy. And so I try, <clears throat> excuse me. I try when I flip not to sell it because if you sell something and you've had it for less than a year, at least in the States, you get short-term capital gains on it and you pay more taxes. So I try to do a lease option on everything. So if I flip a house and I spend 10 or 15,000, I'll get 15 or $20,000 as a non-refundable option fee. So I'll get all my money back plus some, and then I'll let these people rent the house for a year and then go get their mortgage. So that I actually make more money because I make monthly income, I make that money up front, and then I make money on the back, and then I pay less taxes. Mm, like that. I'm sure that's something people can learn from you if they come and study with you. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Now, would you say that you have a personality that's attracted to risky challenges? Oh, yes. Because you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing the excitement. It's almost like a childlike excitement about what you do. And that's great. So let's dig a little deeper with this. You know, I'm sure that it's exciting because it's an opportunity to create wealth and financial freedom. But beneath that, usually, there's something that has nothing to do with money. What would you say is the the rush, the, the thing that gives you that sense of fun that allows you to do it and then make the money. You just said it. It's fun. It's problem solving. It's looking at a puzzle, not knowing where the next piece is coming from, but knowing that it's out there and it'll come when it's supposed to. 
And, you know, keeping it all rustled up, you can't just sit on the couch and wait on something to happen. You have to be out there. You have to keep it all stirred up. But when you do, God just sends you everything that you need. Maybe not exactly on your time, but always on perfect timing. And just by being out there and by flipping houses, by buying houses, I got to where I didn't have to do any marketing. I didn't have to do any of the traditional stuff to get more leads because they were just coming to me. Neighbors were coming to me and saying that, hey, my sister's got a house that looks worse than this, or my sister's got a house that's better than this, or that lady down the street can't leave, but she's got six houses. Go make her an offer on them. And so I would just, by being active, I would get more opportunity to make more money. And I didn't have to spend my money or my time creating these opportunities. They just came to me because people like action. People like mm -hmm. activity. Mm -hmm. I just got this image of, it's like you're standing by a lake and you throw a pebble into it and it begins to create that ripple effect and you continue to throw pebbles and the ripples just get bigger and bigger until they have a, almost a momentum of their own. They do. And then other people start throwing pebbles in for you. There you go. <laughs> you know, as you describe it, I think what you're really describing is the essence of the creative process. You see, you said you wanted to be a writer. You wanted to be an actress. But in a way, what you're doing yeah. is utilizing that same energy. It's like you're creating something. Like you said, like I look at a house and it's a mess, but I'll see if I put this kind of kitchen in it, it's going to become attractive. So you're creating. Yep, absolutely. You know? And I you know, my it. communication degree didn't go to complete waste because I do talk a lot. I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of videos. I do a lot of speaking. So I guess it all came back to working out for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What would you say differenti differentiates you from a real estate agent? I am a real estate agent, actually. I'm a broker for Whitney Buys Houses. I have a license. I'm an auctioneer. I'm a general contractor. I love licenses. And the last one I got was a marriage license, though. So <laughs> the rest of them don't count nearly as much as that one. But I... I I just like having licenses. I don't ever use them, um, but I like to have kind of the inside scoop and to know fully what's going on. And I, I, like if I have a house and I can buy it for $100,000, but I can sell it for $120,000, why would I use my license and get a 6% commission when I can make almost three times as much by not using my license? It, it just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And, you know, even though you are a real estate agent your real passion is investing, investing. and oh, yeah. I, I guess my question would be then what differentiates you from people who are just real estate agents they like it they like what they do but they're not investors themselves they basically help people find houses and uh, they sell them houses I think real estate agents can't see the forest for all the trees. They can see that they're representing investors and that the investors are making big money, but they're not willing to do the extra continuing education that's not giving them credit for state, you know, requirements to actually make the big bucks. And they're they're comfortable chasing that clear to close. They're comfortable being in the rat race and one day, and I talk to tons of agents, I work a lot with agents trying to help them get out of the rat race. One day, I think they all wake up, they all have a moment and they say, you know what, I, I'm not really making that much money. It looks like I'm making a lot of money, but I'm not. I'm stressed. I'm strapped to my credit card. I'm strapped to this broker and I'm never going to be able to get real financial freedom. It's just like having a job. And so I, I work with lots of six figure earners on how they can make another six figures, but on the side and so that they can take a 50 or a hundred thousand dollar retirement plan and keep that, keep that right there as a fallback plan, but to create another stream of $10,000 that comes in every month that they don't have to clock in for or they don't have to chase a clear to close for. They don't have to represent buyers to get it. And when they have that, you know, epiphany moment when they have that, okay, I need to get out of this. What is the way? That's when they usually find me. Mm -hmm. I love and I that. I help them get out of that. I love that. Because there's nothing that. wrong with it. 
we were trained to get up and get a job and do whatever our boss or broker told us to do. But wait a second, who does that benefit? <laughs> yep, you're absolutely spot on with that. Now, how much money have you lost in real estate? $4,000. $4,000, that's it? Wow. I so I bought a house one time that I did not go look at. I, I was vaguely aware of the area of town it was in, and it was only $15,000. And I thought, well, surely any house has got to be worth $15,000. We'll just buy it. And my brother was like, no, 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 $10,000 max. That's all we're offering. I was like, whatever, fifteen. dollars So we bought it. And then as we were over there working, uh, I had a guy, the yard guy, go and he was going to clear out some trees and do a little bit of prettying up for me. And he called me and he was like, hey, I'm going to have to hire somebody to come up here and watch our trailer. Somebody just tried to steal a chainsaw while we were cutting down a tree. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just come over there and watch it. No sense in paying somebody else. And then I was like, wait a second. What am I going to do if somebody tries to steal a chainsaw while I'm watching the trailer? Nothing. I'm going to do nothing but cry. Okay. So this is the kind of neighborhood we were in. The other thing is, like, I didn't look at the house before we bought it. So as soon as we got the keys and we closed on it, ran over there. And as soon as we opened the doors, we were, my brother and I were attacked by fleas. And Ooh. I was like, okay, we got to see the whole house. We got to see the whole, whole house. So I went on through. And then as I was walking across the carpet, you could see the water squishing out of the carpet as you took every step. Um, there was another instance I was over there trying to show it to somebody to offload it and get rid of it. And... I, I was just uncomfortable, right? You just have that uncomfortable feeling. So I called one of our friends that was a cop and I was like, hey, come over here. And he was like, what are you doing over there? And I was like, I bought a house. He was like, oh my gosh. So he comes over there and he was like, okay, I don't ever want to see you over here by yourself again. Get out, get rid of this house. I don't care what happens to it. Just get rid of it. So that was the last time I went over to that house and actually spent any time. We put it back up for auction and got $11,000. But I didn't get raped or mugged or kidnapped, so we lost four grand, learned that lesson, and moved on. Mm-hmm. Wow, great story. What is your self-talk around loss? Oh, keep going. It's okay. Money, you know, I was raised to think that money happens. You lost $4,000, great. Just write it off on your taxes. No big deal. Well, you also said something else, that... You learned something from it. So you could consider, oh, yeah. that, consider that an education expense. It was a great education expense because, you know, I paid $3,000 to go somewhere for a weekend. This time I bought and sold a house. Mm -hmm. Great, great mm -hmm. learning lessons. And that's mm -hmm. what I tell a lot of people, you know, because we think about real estate and we think you need 100000 or 200000 or 500000 to get started. You don't. You need 1200 bucks. You need $10,000. You need just a little bit of action and then you'll get out there and now i think it's hilarious because i just knew every house had to be worth fifteen thousand dollars no matter what shape it was in it had to be worth fifteen thousand dollars when i bought that one right well this year i've bought three houses for less than fifteen thousand total i had twenty five hundred three thousand and a fifty five hundred house <laughs> so as you learn and as you grow and as you continue and you keep going you start to figure out that maybe what you knew when you were 27 isn't so true when you're 32. And mm. Lord only knows what I'm going to find out next year. <laughs> wow, wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Do you care about people's opinions of you? I do. I like to be liked. Uh, I am a little bit of a people pleaser, but then I'm a little bit of a grump. And overall, I am really selfish. And so I'll get down in my feelings for a day or two, and then I'll come roaring back and tell everybody where they can basically stick it. <laughs> well, that's great. So what you're, what you're basically telling me is that ultimately you don't let people's opinions um, interfere with your dreams. I don't. I have a really hard time, though, still with showing loyalty to the family and making sure that, you know, our bucks come from trucks and I'm just out here doing my own little thing. So I always, you know, I make sure when I'm telling my story or when I'm doing my thing that, you know, mom knows what I'm going to say and make sure that I'm not letting any family secrets out or anything like that, you know, because loyalty is huge in my family. And maybe that's why I was a good student, because you tell me what to do, I'm going to go do it. I might not like it, but I'm probably going to go do it and I'll get the lesson back out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, how can people find and buy off-market properties? Oh, there, a lot of times, all you need to do is take a little Sunday drive. Or 
if you're most people wake up in the morning and they get in their car and they drive to the office, they drive to the kids' school, they drive to practice, they drive by McDonald's, maybe they stop and get their hair done, but then they drive back home. Okay, there's like just a very regular rhythm. But there's also about 18 other ways that they could get to their destination. And so if you will start mapping out and driving, maybe it takes an extra 10 minutes to get to wherever you're going. Maybe you end up driving for an hour. If you will just drive around your area, your little honey hole, where you already live and you're already active, and you just start looking for empty houses, you will be shocked at how many houses are sitting empty with nobody caring about them, nobody looking after them, and probably free and clear. And if you can find those, and then you can find the sellers, if you start offering somebody who's gotten nothing on this house for months or years, you you maybe just offer them 500 bucks a month. Well, that's better than nothing. You know, I love what you're saying, and I was just thinking, is there a specific area where you find that this is more prevalent than others. Would this apply to anybody in any state in the United States? Any country, it doesn't matter. When it all boils down to it, humans are the same. All right, we're all gonna put our pants on the same way. We're all gonna have parents that are passing. We're all gonna have kids that have activities going on. We're all gonna wanna eat every day. And then there's gonna be some real estate troubles. We're all gonna want somewhere to sleep at night. We're all gonna wanna feel safe. But in all of that, that's when the real estate troubles start to creep up. So say you, your parents passed and you grew up in a small town and then you moved to the big city. Well, when parents pass and that house goes empty, what are you going to do with it? You're not going to move back home to move into mom and dad's house. You could sell it, I guess, but that's going to take a little bit of energy and a little bit of effort. So if somebody just comes by and says, hey, how about I just start sending you a bunch of money? Okay, I'll do that. So, and you don't have to go to the bad neighborhoods or the scary parts of town like where I started. You know, you can go to regular middle class, sometimes even upper middle class neighborhoods and find empty houses. People have houses and they're on the growth plan. So they got a two bedroom, one bath, and then they got married and had a kid and they bought a three bedroom, two bath, and then a parent or an in-law had to move in. They needed a four bedroom, three bath, but they kept the other two. Well, what happens if, you know, they've got a 30-year mortgage on that, they're making monthly payments, but they got them rented out because, oh, it's okay, honey, we'll just rent it out. But then life happens and they're trying to climb the corporate ladder or they're trying to grow their business or they're trying to scale or whatever. And then, you know, the kids have dance and they have ball and they have this and then the tenant moves out and, oh my God, we cannot, I just cannot go over there and face that right now. I, we'll just make the monthly payment on it this month. It's no big deal. And then they do that for six months or a year or three years or five years and people just get so comfortable and uh, acclimated to making payments on an empty house because it's easier than dealing with the truth and mm. then I come along and say don't worry you don't have to make that monthly payment anymore I'm gonna make it for you and I'm gonna take the house as is agents come in all the time they're like all you gotta do is uh, $20,000 worth of work to this house and then I'll get you an extra 15 on the list price no no I'll you don't have to do anything but give me the keys, sign this paper, and I'll take care of everything. Mm -hmm. There's so many opportunities for empty houses. I think in America, there was a study done, and it was, it's an old study by now, but it said that if every homeless person wanted an empty house, they could have two. Whoa. That's quite something. Now, wow, that's great. That's great to so know. I never, I never deal with the MLS. I never deal with other agents because there's too many empty houses out there for me to ever get bored or stop. And there's too many out there for me to buy. So that's why I teach other people how to go buy them. <laughs> well, now that's great. How, how can people creatively finance real estate investments? Well, just like that. I mean, if you have a house that's free and clear that you inherited, you just say, look, man, I'm just going to start sending you some money every month, but you won't have to worry about the toilets or the tenants or anything. You just, you know, sign this paper. I'll agree to give you $100,000 for it, and it's going to take me 10 years to pay you off. Cool. What? And then on the, on the flip side, if there's a mortgage on it, you know, and you've been making these payments, and I say, look, dude, I'll just take it over for whatever you owe on it right now. And I'll just take on these payments and in five or 10 years, I'll make sure the mortgage is out of your name. 
sign right here. And what do they get besides the, the relief of that burden? The relief of that burden is enough. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. I mean, if, if it's like 500 or 1,000 a month or whatever, and now they're not paying it, they're People basically... Skip vacations they get their car fixed instead of getting a new car because they've adjusted their money mindset to just making this payment if i take that away i mean <laughs> their life gets better their married life gets better their vacation life gets better everything clears up when you take that anchor away fantastic what are the <laughs> what are the advantages and disadvantages of diversifying what you buy because i mean i uh i know that i studied with a real estate guru in toronto and his approach was if you uh get good at buying and selling or investing in let's say duplexes don't suddenly jump and buy an apartment building because you don't really know the game what do you say about that I think you grow as you go. I started buying land for 1200 bucks and then I bought land for 1500 bucks and then I bought a house for 15,000 and then I bought a 30,000 house and then I bought a $100,000 house and then I bought a $200,000 apartment complex. So I think you just grow as you go and you can find that you really like houses and you don't really like apartments or you'll find that you really like land because it's free and clear and after two months of rent, you're you know doubling down on your money. You might find that you like apartments because you like having a property manager and never talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. I think you have to try different things and see what you like. Like I tried listing houses and I didn't like it. I didn't make enough money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if I never tried, then maybe I would still say, maybe I should do that. Maybe I, maybe I would do okay with that. No, I tried it. It was awful. Well, I like that, that that approach as well. You know, there's no one approach that is the right one. Um, you try people, things, you you yeah. do things, you do things, and you learn. And, Absolutely. Uh, correct and continue as you go on. That's right. What would you say is your core why for doing what you do? The thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning. I want to be a mom, and I want to not have to worry about money when I become a mom. I want to be like the stay-at-home mom that still makes fifty or a hundred thousand dollars a month, and nobody really even knows it, and that the kid just grows up knowing that there's money in the mailbox and everything's cool. And that's that's why I get up and work. That's why I coach so I can pay off my houses, so I can increase my monthly income, and it's all so that I can be a mom. So I take it that you're not a mom now. I'm a stepmom now. Okay, okay. That's a strong why. That's very, very strong. What what bores you, Whitney? Uh, negative Nancy's. My husband bores me a lot, and I'll look at him sometimes, and I'll be like, I have no idea what you just said. Could you break that down into smaller words? People, <laughs> people that try, and he does this all the time because he's corporate, and he's very black and white. And actually, it's funny. You know, I told you about our story earlier. He works for me now. So we have gone completely full circle and he'll try to corporate me and he tries to put me in a box and it drives me crazy. And then sometimes he wants to sit down and have these long meetings and, oh my God, it is so boring. Can we go do something? Well, what I love about what you're telling me is there's all this stuff that um, you have in your personalities that are not in sync, but obviously there's something very strongly in sync because... You're together, and it sounds like you love him. Yeah, he's he's really really loyal. He's completely dependable, and he's always glad to see me. He's basically a human dog. Ooh, I don't think <laughs> I, I, I don't think that he should hear this this podcast. Oh, I tell him that all the time. He's always glad <laughs> to see me. He's always loyal. He's very dependable. If I need anything, I know he's going to be there. Um, he, he's probably a better dog than my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay, now if you had to live alone on a desert island for one oh, year, that'd be awful. No, so what would be the one thing that you would take there with you? A phone to call somebody to come get me. I went to Girl Scout camp when I was a kid, and it was awful. I called my mom every day to come get me. Okay, but I like I'm, being I'm, around people. 
I'm going to take I, I'm going to take that away from you and say, on this desert island, there's no phone service. Uh, I get sunscreen because I burn. What's that? I get sunscreen because I burn out in the sun. Just sunscreen. That would be the the one thing if you could choose anything to bring with you. You're going to be there for a year. Uh, probably a notepad and a a pen or a pencil yeah. so I could write down all the great ideas I have so that when somebody finally comes to get me, we'd have something to go do. Oh. Yeah, that, that could turn into, I mean, you might, you might discover uh, an amazing creative project inside of you on that desert uh, island that you never knew was there. Encyclopedia on real estate investing. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Now, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in the world, what would that be? I think the thing that holds most people back, especially from real estate investing, is this idea that they need to have good credit and they need to have a good job and they need to be kind of on the straight and narrow path to riches. And then they all end up not there. So if I could get rid of credit, I think that would free up a lot of people's concerns, especially over getting involved in real estate investing. Is it credit you'd have to get rid of or would you have to get rid of people's fears around this i think if you got rid of the credit you'd get rid of their fears it'd be two for one so what do you mean by getting rid of the credit well you don't need credit to go buy houses i mean i just oh, told you I see. Different examples of okay. nobody pulls my credit nobody knows if i have good credit and people have been brainwashed for the last hundred years to think that they need good credit so they can go get a mortgage mortgages are only i mean they're not even a hundred years old Real estate agents are not 100 years old, but real estate investing has been around since before Jesus was here. I love that. I love what you just said. That's great. Do you have a favorite book? Miracle. Go ahead. I was going to say besides the Bible, because I know you love the Bible. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> and I drink the wine. Um Miracle in the Mountains is a book about Martha Berry. And Martha Berry was a lady that lived in North Georgia. She founded a college here in North Georgia for the mountain kids mostly. But she, Berry College owns more land than any university or college in the world. And so technically, she owned more land than any real estate investor ever. Wow, and you wow. never heard about her. She hung out with all the big guys, um, all the presidents through the 1910s, 15s, and 20s, 30s. She hung out with Henry Ford. Uh, a lot of the president's wives were very frequent visitors here to North Georgia. and But you never heard about her. She just went on about her business and did her thing all by herself. Now, why hasn't a movie been made about her? She's just so far under the radar, and she had no scandals. There wasn't, I mean, the biggest biggest scandal she ever had was how was she going to make money to make the, uh, to feed the students. Miracle, I mean, miracle in the Mountains. About Martha Berry. She's amazing. I absolutely adore her. Do you know who wrote the book? Her longtime secretary, um, I can't pronounce it, Avalyn, Evelyn. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, actually, because we can find it on Amazon or, mm -hmm. or Google. That's great. Yep. That is but She great. was a woman with determination. She didn't have a plan. She didn't know the puzzle piece, but she was going to make it happen one step at a time. Woo! I'm going to look that up. I really am. Thanks for that. Yep. What, about, what about a favorite quote? I, I say keep going all the time, or I go back to Proverbs 31, 16, and she buys it. So when I started, I loved a Babe Ruth quote that said, you know, he, he counted his home runs, of course. We all, all know how many home runs he had, a lot. But he also counted his strikeouts. And he had it figured out that for every certain number of strikeouts, he was going to hit a home run. So he wasn't ever worried about a strikeout. And I was never worried about a no because it was one step closer to a home run. It was one step closer to a yes. It was one step closer to a deal. It was one step closer to breaking a record. And I, I loved that quote, especially when I got started. And it's an actual, there's an actual wording for it, a Babe Ruth quote about. Uh, I, I don't know what it is right now. I used to have it on my phone. That's but, okay. Yeah. 
That's okay. We can find it. It's all, you know, we have a, my good friend Google will help me with that. And, <laughs> and, and, and what was the quote again from the Bible? It's Proverbs 31, 16. She goes to inspect a field and she buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So she didn't go ask her husband for permission or get money from her daddy or her brother. She knew what she was doing. She made an offer. She bought the land. And then she created generational wealth for her kids. Woo. Love that. You're a wealth of exciting uh, wisdom and fun and knowledge. It's great. Where do you see yourself in five years? I really see myself, you know, pretty much retired, only buying, you know, three or four houses a year and in five years having a kid or two. So that's wonderful to give people a picture. You wanna, you'll probably be retired in five years. How old are you now? 32. Fantastic. You hear that, people? Yeah. I know everybody wants to have this great big, you know, $100,000 a month. And I would love $100,000 a month also. But I know that, especially for where I live, if I hit 30, 40, 50,000 a month, I'm going to be living a lot larger than anybody else. And mm -hmm. I'll have all the time in the world to do exactly what I want to do and not worry about it. And that just comes one house at a time. Love it. Love it. How can people contact you? My website is WhitneyNicely.com, and there should be a link up at the top to join my Facebook group. I'm really mouthy on Facebook. <laughs> I do a lot of real estate investing tips and tricks and tidbits and tell a lot of my stories, and it, that's probably the best way to keep up with me is on Facebook. So that is Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, Nicely, N-I-C-E-L-Y dot, dot com. Yes, sir. Very good. And you do, do you have a, an actual course, right, that you teach people? Yeah, First Deal Done Fast. It's a self-study course, and I teach you exactly what you need to do to get your first house under contract within a week or two. A lot of my students actually really do, within the first month, have a house under contract. And they can find out about that at your website, yeah? Yes, WhitneyNicely.com. Absolutely. First Deal Done Fast. I love that. <laughs> Any final thoughts for our storytellers? I, I think everybody's story is absolutely beautiful. I love listening to stories. So whatever your story is, get out there and share it. And a lot of times by sharing your story, you'll get deals. People love stories. You know this. And the more you can tell your story, the more people are going to be drawn to you, whether it's in business or real estate investing or whatever it is. Get out there and tell your story. Oh, man, that is... That is really beautiful advice. I can't thank you enough. You not only gave us um, great information, uh, you educated us, your energy is wonderful, and you are thoroughly entertaining. So thank you very, very much. Woo, I feel like I've hit the top of the totem pole now. Yes, you thank are. Thank you. <laughs> and I know, I know you're not going to fall off, darling. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks thank again. Thank you, Lewis. This is great. Wonderful. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Whitney nicely. Pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. At the website, you will find a downloadable free ebook as a gift from me to you. The book is entitled Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You know, as I was listening to Whitney's wonderful stories and her contagious energy, here's what hit me. This podcast, you may think, is about real estate. And on a certain level, it is. So what happens if you're not interested at all in real estate? Do you tune out and say, this is not for me? Or do you listen more closely and recognize that this and the things that she was sharing go way beyond real estate? They were incredible life lessons for anyone about perseverance, most importantly, the lesson that says, don't let someone else's opinion about you 
become your opinion of yourself. Now that is priceless. Whether real estate is your game, meditation is your game, writing, painting, entrepreneurship, it doesn't matter. It's about the story that you choose to live into. Remember once again that we are sponsored by Audible and that you can have for free a an audiobook of your choice and you can choose from more than 120,000 titles and get one month of Audible's service absolutely free. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You may have had strong reactions to the things that you heard today. They may be very positive and some of them might not. I would love to hear what you're receiving from this show and specifically from this particular podcast. Send your feedback to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com or to loseclub at gmail.com. I am offering once again to the first three people who respond to me. Let me know that you heard this podcast, that you listened to it, and request a 30-minute free consultation with me. And I guarantee you that you will come out of that consultation a stronger, more effective, more compelling communicator. We will take a look at any message or story that you want to share with the world, and I will give you some powerful tools that you can use immediately to improve the quality of your communication with that message or story. Once again, the contact info is at the two email addresses that I just gave you, lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com or loseclub at gmail.com. During the next week, here's the important question to ask. Is there something that I would love to do, but long ago I accepted that it's impossible? I'm being realistic. And I know that it's impossible. I challenge you to ask yourself, is it really impossible? Because I believe that nothing is impossible. See, things are only impossible until someone does them. And to help you probe even more deeply, seriously ask this question. How can I change my story and change my life. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.